This week on Overtime, we discuss the close of the season, what it means to actually treasure something, and how the kingdom of God is waiting for you. Make sure that you like and subscribe. Let's get it. Welcome to Center City Overtime, a weekly podcast where we take a little more time to dive into Sunday's message. And this week, it's a little bittersweet because we've come to the end of our Kingdom Over Everything series, week seven. And you talked about kingdom over, we called it kingdom over money, but you used the word treasure. And so I, I want to talk for just a minute. What is the difference between treasure and money? Well, I mean, from a really practical biblical standpoint, money is temporary. Um, money is not, uh, it's physical. And often when we consider money, money is something that we can treasure if we're not careful. But treasures are just whatever you choose to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Um, when he's speaking about storing up treasures in heaven, of course, he's not talking about making sure that your financial bank account is in order. Although good stewardship is something that we need to strive for as believers. Um, but I even think even among us, like um, outside of the very uh, those who really do struggle with um, materialism and um, greed, most of us would say there are things in our lives that we hold on to that are priceless. Mm-hmm. That That's a treasure. It's yeah. that thing that we're holding on to, and it doesn't mean you have to hold on to it. It doesn't have inherent value because you want to hold on to it. it has value because it means something to me, and that's what mm-hmm. I'm choosing to hold on to. It's treasure. I, so, yeah, what would you say is one of your most treasured possessions? Yeah, so one of my first computers. I know that sounds so weird, but when I was in college, um, uh, my parents invested X amount of dollars into this high-end computer in order to get my uh, to get me started on my career. Now, I was able to fairly quickly pay my parents back based off of the work I did on that computer. And right now, I'm not sure that it could run some of the stuff that we do on our phones. But it was enough for me. I I, I still have it in my um, on my kind of shelf where it's just something that I treasure. I don't think it's worth much. It's not <laughs> super vintage, although it's getting there. <laughs> Um, but it's something that I really kind of hold on to. And then, you know, things from the boys, uh, journey. Uh, I remember when I was in the season of waiting and we were dealing with our infertility. I had a friend who would pray over, and I know this sounds cruel, but it really spoke to me. Um, he prayed over different things like items, and then he would hand them to me just as a sign to let me know I was praying. So I have like old uh, pacifiers and uh, like small little baby trinkets. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a short season because God really did use that season to open some opportunities for us to walk in, engage with the boys and through adoption. But those are some of the things yeah. that I still hold on to and treasure. Yeah. What would you say it is about it? Like, let's take that computer, for example. Why is that computer more treasured than like the last laptop that you used? Uh, because of the sacrifice, again, it, it's not about the possession, but mm-hmm. about what it represents. It's about the sacrifice my parents made, um, the fact that they had to believe in me. So they made this investment. It felt like it was an investment into me, into my future. Um, you know, fast forward 20 some odd years, um, I'm no longer in the graphic design field. Uh, but so much of my journey into even ministry revolves around my relationship with technology and the way that God used and grafted that in me. So... Yeah, it, it means that because of that. Yeah, I feel like I love differentiating because when we hear a, a passage like the one that we talked about on Sunday, we can immediately start to think about our bank accounts and money and almost like put this shame on ourselves about the way that we handle money. And a lot of people, myself included, have opportunities to grow. But 
I think pointing out treasure kind of speaks to this thing that God's written on our hearts, that even a lot of these possessions that we treasure at the end of the day, they kind of speak to either people that we love or like pivotal moments in our journey to become who God created us to be. Um, and I mean, not, not to jump ahead, but yeah. I think that that's the connection, right? Like, it's not that I treasure this computer. It's what it means. Somebody invested into a, a person, which w we talked about the two mm -hmm. eternal things that mm -hmm. we find biblically is the the soul of a man and the, the, the king of the kingdom. Right. Those two things are eternal. So it means so much to me that my parents were willing to make that investment that now I treasure it. And I'm willing to make that investment in other people. Yeah. This is so far beyond the bank account. But then Jesus comes back and says, no, but at the heart of it, you also have to consider that sometimes we put money in that place and it should never be there. Mm -hmm. So I do want to talk about those. You just kind of said it really quickly, but I want to spend a little time unpacking this idea that there are two different ways that we can make eternal investments. And so you said that the two things that we see scripturally and just kind of know to be true that are eternal are people and God. So what does that look like to invest in the eternal? You know, um, I've become, uh, the, the, the older I get, the more enamored I am with the revolutionary ideas that scripture painted. If you consider that when Paul and uh, some of these, these other writers, Timothy, sat down to pen Matthew, Luke, sat down to pen these incredible words. So many of them were living in a day and age where there were literally people who held no value, mm -hmm. none, none at all. So they, there's a pervasive thinking of the day that people were cattle. Um, a lot of people point to the idea of, um, the idea of value inherent in all humanity. You can point directly back to the scripture making this pivotal shift in humanity. Like, um, so what we see for thousands of years since those words were penned, um, you see humanity trying to reconcile the idea of how do we, when we say that we are created in the image of God, what does that mean? And one of the things that it means is that in each of us, each of us from wherever you're from, where, wherever, whatever you walk through, no matter your upbringing, no matter your history, no matter even the decisions you make, um, that each of us inherently have eternity invested in us. It's a little sobering because it means that every person you come into contact, you have an opportunity of investing, making a change, influencing in a way that can bear eternal reward and, um, you know, I, I've said this for, for years, I'm enamored with changing family trees. Like somebody invested into my mom and dad. Um, it invested, technically, you can go back to my grandparents. They invested in my grandparents. My grandparents came to Jesus. It changed my parents' life. It changed my life. It changed my kids' life. And that's just a small, mm -hmm. small, like, picture of eternity. That And that's only speaking to your actual, actual family. family. But there are so many people outside of your family blessed by each of those generations. Absolutely. My grandfather was a um, first-generation preacher, um, started his own church. My dad uh, followed suit in ministry. I followed suit in ministry. And, and you're like, oh, well, that sounds great. Like, everybody's going to be a pastor. Look, a lot of the influence that came from that family's, uh, that family uh, generational blessing has nothing to do with those pastors and everything to do with moms and, and, and siblings who are in the workforce that are 
that are doing the work of ministry day to day in cubicles, like there is significant transformation because the investment that somebody made in a person has eternal and, and deep running consequence. You talked a little bit about this, um, but this kind of idea that we can get so caught up in maintaining our lifestyle and we don't even necessarily think of it that way. Like I'm not talking about the people who are wanting to buy like 16 cars and then they need a garage big enough for them. Like all of us can kind of look at that and wonder about that relationship with money, but it becomes so normal that we just think, well, I got, I got to keep paying my bills. I got to I got to keep working and, you know, maybe I need to do this other side hustle or this sort of thing that we end up spending so much time investing time in being able to keep up our lifestyle that then you see this pattern of we don't know our neighbors. We don't have time. We're constantly saying, hey, it's so good to see you. We should catch up sometime. But then the answer is always like, I'm really busy this month. Maybe we can try next month. How, how do we break that cycle, um, you know, in one short podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I think so much of that is we have to evaluate what we prioritize. Mm -hmm. um, uh, for the person working 60 hours a week, um, making more than enough for the family and sacrificing the relationship with their daughters and sons at the altar of success at the workplace, I'm gonna tell you, your family probably has enough. Like, they have enough of the finances, they need more of you. Mm -hmm. um, I've heard it said, I don't know where, I, someone originated it, but I think it's a good thought no one ever um, is at their deathbed wishing they spent more time in the office. So when we prioritize our relationships, now from a really practical place, um, I, I think like vacations are healthy. Mm -hmm. Developing a family Sabbath concept is healthy. Making sure when you come home that I, I think sometimes it's, I got to come home and I got to relax because I've had a long day at work and what the kids get and what the wife gets is all of the less leftovers um, I think to some degree, they should get your first and your best, you know, of course, after your relationship with the Lord, because that's the priority. Right. Everything falls underneath the kingdom. Um, but again, reevaluating those priorities. And from time to time, one of the things that you can do to evaluate where you are is just look at your calendar, right? Like if you're not spending any time at home, if you're not spending any time with your kids, if you're not spending any time with your wife, if you're not spending any time with your neighbors, like it, <laughs> if your calendar would dictate that your heart has been sold out for this pursuit of something, just I think that that switching of priorities is important and to be reminded that even, and this is even for the people who feel like they do things that are, are of eternal consequence, right? So to my nonprofit people in the place or people who are working in an industry that you feel like you're making significant change for eternity's sake, I would say be careful because the the one the the relationships you don't want to sacrifice are the ones that have been entrusted to you by the hand of God. Like I'm glad that you're doing incredible things. There used to be this idea that in order to do incredible things, you have to be a jerk, and I just think that that's so backwards from what we read in Scripture. Right? That we can do incredible things, and we can also live a life of healthy balance. Like it's okay to love your kids, you know, and and to put your priority of your family. Now I know that there's seasons where work gets busy and you have to prioritize that one way. I'm not naive to think that it's always family, 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 family. Like there's, there's a point there where that becomes unhealthy. Um, but there, it, you just have to make sure you're prioritizing the right things. Otherwise you end up with all the money in the world. You end up with all the cars in the world. You can take your kids to the finest schools, but they don't know their parents. And that's not a good place. Your neighbors, they don't know you. Um, even your coworkers know you, but know you only in a place where, um, you know, you're, you're from that work relationship. They don't understand what the Lord's done in your life and how they can affect, how he can affect theirs. Yeah. So one more hardball. 
I mean, maybe one more. Who knows where we'll go after that? Was that a hardball? Okay, so one hardball. <laughs> Just kidding. What about, like, that's, that's easy to say when you can see a little margin in that budget. Mm -hmm. But what about those people who are really struggling to make ends meet? How do you still live a lifestyle that is putting food on the table, but also investing in the eternal and not worshiping at the altar of money? Yeah, I think you'd be surprised. I know that I am um, in a lot of the scenarios where um, money is an issue. Um, often family is not being sacrificed. Does that make sense? Um, there's a lot of times, now again, everybody has their own scenarios, but some of the most, what we would say, impoverished people that I've ever met have phenomenal family structure. Mm -hmm. I think that dependency becomes a thing that draws them together and drives them closer. But with that said, I mean, that, you know, I know that there's a single mom who's working three jobs in order to put food on the table for the kids. Um, you know, in those, in those instances, like, like, absolutely, you have to do what you have to do. You have to provide, um, you know, inviting people into that journey is always helpful because, you know, you, you develop that, 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 um, that network around you, um, you know, and sometimes that network is extended family. Sometimes that, that network is church family, right? Like, so really being involved in community in order to help um, what we say, a, a healthy youth ministry should always echo the moral fabric of the home. So uh, a healthy youth ministry does help in those moments. Um, but I would also say to make sure that whatever you're doing, remember what you do to get out of your hole often is what you continue to do once you get out of the hole. Mm -hmm. And if you create uh, habits that are unhealthy to dig your way out, you'll carry those ha those unhealthy habits in the next. Yeah, season. that's really helpful. So, um, you know, and again, it's just making sure the priority is the priority. Mm -hmm. I would also say along the way, there has to be evaluation of lifestyle. Do your kids need $1,000 cell phones? Mm -hmm. Do your kids need the brand new $150 sneakers? Do you need every subscription service? You need every subscription service. That's the evaluation going on in my personal household right now. <laughs> you know, we, we um, in, in Fort Lauderdale, we deal, dealt years with, with um, uh, some families that were struggling financially. And uh, it'd be amazing to see sometimes some of the signs of unhealth is an inability to control spending. So, you know, help me, um, my kid needs clothes for school but then you're picking them up in a, 19, a, a brand new car, right? Like, so that you can just tell that there was some issues within the scope of spending. So even then I would say, no matter where you are on that spectrum, to make sure you're spending time prioritizing, evaluating, and the way that you evaluate is through your, your checkbook and your calendar. Not that anybody uses a check no, book no more, but a bank your account bank registry, statement. yeah, your yeah. bank statement <laughs> and your calendar. And I would tell you that's where your heart is. Mm -hmm. That's good. Um, I do want to zoom out a little bit since we're in the last of this series, which we were just joking before we started. This was originally going to be one yeah. message, <laughs> and now it's a seven-week series, which is a common thing that happens on this team. But I'm wondering, and I know you referenced a little of it Sunday, are there any themes that have kind of shown up as we've studied through all of this that you didn't necessarily see at the beginning, but now you kind of see a repeated pattern as we've talked through this whole Sermon on the Mount? What I thought would be a really corrective passage, what I thought would be more like, hey, this is the things that you need to avoid. Um, I think when we were all said and done, this has been an empowering series. Mm -hmm. I feel like this series, um, 
as a whole has really felt like um, the choice, like that idea of choice is huge. And I didn't think yeah. it was going to be there so much, right? Like so that you can choose, um, you can choose love instead of anger, that you can choose holiness versus lust. You can choose um, to live righteous, you know, like those choices. So really the, the theme that kept coming through is what, what are you holding on to? That there are things that are trying to tear you from the kingdom, but there is also things that you can choose to hold on to that if you release what's trying to tear you away, you find yourself secure. And again, a, a series that I thought was going to be more discipline yeah, I... focus ended up really being empowering. Like, oh, wait, no, I can I can choose to love. I can choose to live in peace. I don't have to choose worry. I don't have to choose uh, to, to, to to worry about tomorrow, that, that there's peace to be found. Uh, I am um, not to interrupt you, but to interrupt you. I was talking to someone in our church family yesterday who's walking through a really tough season, like really tough. And she made this comment that like, if she has this access to this peace that passes understanding, then she's gonna choose to do everything that she can to protect that. Cause she, she goes, I just wanna be dripping with peace. And then she made this aside comment like, maybe that's just a defense mechanism against worry. And what I told her was like, it is, but it's the one that God's given us. Like Absolutely. that's exercising that choice that we have. And I don't know that I would have even thought of it that way before we kind of talked through this whole series and this idea that we do every day get to choose what we're holding on to. Well, you've been walking through this series with us. Anything mm -hmm. stand out to you? Yeah, I would definitely say that. My kind of visual picture that I'm taking with me is grip strength. I talked about this a little bit at our worship night, but this idea that like when you do one of those savage races, Spartan races, crazy people races, the reason most people fail is not because they didn't run enough, not because they didn't do enough push-ups or sit-ups, but they didn't work on their actual grip strength to hold on to yeah, the, you know, the different obstacles that you have to hold on to. And so I actually like had from a time that I trained for one of those races, some grip strength, like exercise things. And that's kind of, I've got one by my bed right now just to remind me like every day as I make the choice to choose Jesus really over myself. Yeah. So at the end of the day, all of this anger, worry, all of it comes to, am I trusting myself or am I trusting God to just make those choices that are those little like investments in that grip strength. Yeah. So when disaster comes, it's there, like I'm ready for it. Yeah, it's good um, stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's been a fun series. It has been. All seven weeks of it. All seven weeks. No, our next series will be 52 weeks long. <laughs> One day, maybe. It won't be, I promise. <laughs> um, do you have any like final remarks as the pastor that you want to give before we move on from this? I always get a little nervous to move on from series because when they're at the forefront of our mind, it's easier to think about them. And then you never want people to just like forget and move away. Yeah, I just pray that you would be inspired to choose the kingdom. Um, you know, the king of this kingdom is loving and because he's the center of it all, we have our flaws and we have our issues, but the kingdom is where you were designed to be so that you would daily choose the kingdom. That that would be my, my hope and that you would put that choice above all things. Seek first the kingdom of God. I think really you can sum up, and this is the reason it was the basis of the study, right? You can sum it all up in that one thought. Seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is our direction. And seeking first is the way that he prioritized that search. So everything falls underneath your decision to uh, be a uh, be a part of the kingdom. So yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's been it's been a great series. It's been fun. Um, we have loved going through this with you. We're starting a new series on Sunday, so make sure you join us 9 a.m. and 11 right here. See you then. See you then.